Welcome to the Cross Street Podcast. My name is Scott, and each week we're going to explore different topics and passages from the Bible, see what their meaning is, and then more importantly, see what relevance and applicability there are to our lives today. A lot of people think the Bible is outdated and has very little relevance in modern society, but in reality, there's a lot we can learn from it and even more to be encouraged by. And we challenge you to throw out any preconceived notions you may have about the Bible and read it again for the first time. You may be surprised at what hope it gives. Today we're going to be discussing the topic of, does God really love us? You know, in today's uh, maddening and crazy world, um, we see a lot of things going on. And I hear also a lot of times people say things like, you know, I'd like to get to know uh, God better, but you don't really know my background and I can't imagine God would ever love me, given what I've done in my past. There's just too much there. So what we're going to do today is to explore that topic, does God actually love us, by looking at one of the Gospels, which are the uh, one of the four books that were the biographies of Jesus' life and have uh, most of the direct quotes of him. So we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at a, a passage there, chose uh, what I think is the greatest display of Jesus' love for us uh, of all time. So uh, hopefully this will be something that will be encouraging to you as well. So the background of the story we're going to look at is that Jesus is just, um, it's the night before he's going to go to the cross. He's brought his disciples together and had just had the Last Supper, the, uh, the famous Last Supper uh, that everyone's heard about. And then afterwards, he brings his disciples uh, out to a garden where he wants to go and, and just have some quiet time and pray. And that's going to be the backdrop. Obviously, it's a very uh, tense time. And, and we're going to pick up uh, the story of, of what Jesus did in, in this garden and then what, uh, what it means for us. So we're going to pick up the reading in Matthew 26, uh, verses 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back. He again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the, th prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And this is the end of the reading today in the book of Matthew. So as I said before, this is the story of uh, Jesus in the garden uh, the night before um, he went to the cross. So there's a lot of uh, emotion in the air. So what we're going to do today is look at this passage. It's not very long, but what's going on there, why it is Jesus was so uh, agonized, and what it actually says about, uh, about us. So to start off with, 
the first thing we see is that obviously Jesus is in great agony. So much so that it describes it. He, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And on the face of it, it makes sense. He's going to go to his death the next day and he knows it. But he's spoken about his death several times in this same gospel in very calm and easy tones that, you know, he's fully aware of what was going to happen to him. Yet here, he is very uh, sorrowful and agonizing. And in fact, in another gospel, the one of Luke, it even says that he was so agonized that he was sweating blood. So it appears there's got to be something more than just that the closeness in terms of days, uh, one being uh, for him going to the cross. There has to be something in addition to that that's causing such dread and agony to come over Jesus. And the uh, text tells us that uh, he asks God the Father to, uh, if it's possible, to take this cup away from him. Well, what is the cup actually representing? The first thing that kind of comes to mind would probably be the, from the Last Supper, where he has a, you know, says, this is the cup of uh, the new covenant, which I've shed my blood for you. But if you actually uh, look in the Old Testament, whenever they, there was reference to a cup, it was talking about God's wrath. There are 15 times in the Old Testament where the cup of God's wrath is mentioned, and it's basically representing God's just punishment on humanity for evil that they were doing. Here's an example from that Old Testament. This is the book of Isaiah, chapter 51, verse 17, uh, describing this uh, cup of wrath. It says, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. And one more from Psalm 75, verse 8. It says, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. So we can see that uh, the cup of wrath is a judgment coming down from God for wicked deeds done by humanity. So we see that Jesus is obviously going to be facing the wrath of God for all sinners, even though he himself had never sinned. And one thing we have to keep in mind is that Jesus went off to pray to his Father on numerous occasions, and he always was in perfect communion and fellowship with the Father. This time, when he went to pray in the garden, though, instead of feeling fellowship, he began to see what the full wrath of God actually was going to look like. He was looking to be comforted on the day before he was going to the cross, but instead found a full view of hell, and he was horrified by it. The agony began because this was the first time the suffering spiritually was starting to begin so that Jesus would know what he was actually going to undertake in order to go through what he needed to to save us all. God the Father had always been talking to Jesus. This was the first time he had kind of turned his back on him. That's what would cause such agony for Jesus. God was showing him what he was going to actually have to undertake. And one of the most famous sermons of all time by a man named Jonathan Edwards called The Agony of Christ uh, describes this exact same thing. It says, The agony was caused by a vivid, bright, full, immediate view of the wrath of God. The Father, as it were, set the cup down before him. He now had a near view of that furnace into which he was about to be cast. He stood and viewed its raging flames and the glowing of its heat, that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. So God had laid out in full view for Jesus what he was going to have to go through in the next day. And that leads to the question of why is it that God would put this in front of him now and not just wait until the next day when he was on the cross? And I think the reason this happened is because 
whenever you have something happen to you where you are fully uh, aware of what's going to happen and how painful it's going to be, it's a lot harder to go through with it than if it's sort of a surprise and you just have it uh, come on you and then you get through the endeavor because you weren't thinking or, or pondering how horrible this is going to be. Uh, let me give you a quick example. If our children need to get a shot at the doctor's office, if we are beforehand, uh, before they'd ever gotten a shot, to uh, take out a needle, show them, hey guys, this is what's going to be going uh, into your arm tomorrow, and they're going to push this little end, and it's going to sting, and there's going to be a cut on the back end, and you're going to need to get a Band-Aid, there is no shot we would be able to get them in the car the next day to go down to the doctor's office. But if we just get them in the car, drive them over to the doctor, and even though it's not enjoyable, they're able to take, get, a, get a shot done and out of the doctor's office successfully. But if we had given them that foreknowledge of what exactly was going to happen, there is no shot that they would have uh, climbed in the car. We would have had kicking and screaming before the appointment. In the instance of the garden, Jesus is given the opposite treatment here. Uh, he was given the full knowledge of what, what was going to be going uh, on to him uh, in order that he would be making a, a choice uh, as opposed to being surprised and uh, just going through with the cross without really having uh, it being his decision. No, he was given the full knowledge of what he was going to have to go through so that it was his choice and he was in full knowledge of how horrible it actually was going to be. So what we actually see going on here in the garden is the night before that he actually goes to the cross... God is showing him a full view of the wrath he's going to have to taste. He is going to be bankrupted from heaven for the first time. And he is saying that in order to really go through with this, Jesus, you need to know what you are actually going to be taking part of. Well, you're not going to have it all. You're not going to let you off easy and just figure it out on the cross. I'm going to let you do this where you are full knowledge of what you are undertaking. And that's why it's such an excruciating thing for Jesus. And not only this, did God put the full wrath in front of him so that he'd know that he was going to have to undertake, but he also then put it who he was going to do it for in full view. Obviously, Jesus brought with him James, Peter, and John, three disciples that had been with him from the beginning, and were all the same people that had come up with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration and seen him in his glory and seen him with Moses and Elijah. So these guys had seen his miracles. They'd been with him. They were his best friends. They were the guys that would have been the greatest supporters of Jesus, representing the human race to the best that they possibly could. And what had happened when Jesus came over three times, all he asked them to do was to stay awake, to, to be comforting to him, and they fell asleep. So think about this scene. It's almost like God is juxtaposing. You are going to take on this wrath, and here's who you're going to be doing it for, humanity. Even the best of them don't care a lick about you realistically. And if you're going to go through with this, Jesus, you need to know exactly what you're going to do and who you're going to be doing it for. This is the reason why Jesus was so disheartened, sitting there seeing the full wrath of God in front of him, and then seeing his friends, whom he only asked to just stay up and watch to, to be there for him, and they'd fallen asleep. He never really asked his disciples to do much of anything for him, and all he was asking now was just to be there and stay awake, and they couldn't even do that for him. And what did he do in response? You know, God was basically laying him out and saying, Jesus, this is, the, this is what you're going to have to take on, this full wrath that I have that, I, that is owed to humanity. And here's who you're going to be doing it for. What's your choice? And Jesus, as amazing as he is, still chose to go to the cross to give up his life in spite of what we've done. This was the greatest act of love ever shown. 
Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father, submitting to his will even when he didn't want to, and at the same time showed perfect love to all of us. Jesus is the only one that completed the two commandments that encompass all of them. He loved God with his whole heart and was obedient to him, and he loved his neighbors, i.e. the disciples, i.e. all of us. He was in perfect uh, love of both the Father and of everybody else. And he did it in spite of everything that was around him. And, and quoting again that same uh, from the same sermon from Jonathan Edwards to further describe this, he says, Christ was going to be the cast into a dreadful furnace of wrath, and it was not proper that he should plunge himself into it blindfolded, as not knowing how dreadful the furnace was. Therefore, that he might not do so, God first brought him and set him at the mouth of the furnace, that he might look in and stand and view its fierce and raging flames, and might see where he was going, and might voluntarily enter into it and bear it for sinners, as knowing what it was. This view Christ had in his agony. Then he acted as knowing what he did. Then his taking that cup and bearing such dreadful sufferings was properly his own act by an explicit choice, and so his love to sinners was the more wonderful, and is also his obedience to God in it. Edwards is obviously describing Jesus' perfect love and how it fulfilled the two commandments that encompass all of them. God loves us more than we could ever know. God loves us no matter what we do. What can we learn from this passage? In this life, we are going to experience hard times. See things that we don't understand, can't understand. People will fail us. Friends will fall asleep on us, but Jesus will never fail us. His love is greater than we could ever imagine. Ephesians 3.17 tells us, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp just how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. Does Jesus really love you? Is he ever going to say, enough is enough, I give up on you because of what you've done? Look at what he's already done. He swallowed hell for us, and he did it knowing that the people he was doing it for didn't really love him, didn't really care for him, couldn't even stay awake for him. It doesn't matter how big your mistakes were in the past or how big they're going to be in the future. He will never give up on you. His love for you will never run out. He drank the cup of wrath down to the bottom so that if we put our faith in him, we can now drink from the cup of his salvation. And I'm just going to close with a passage from Romans. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to you next week on the Cross Street Podcast.